on the computer. Sweet. Okay. Welcome back, folks. It's the Midwest Momentum. Everybody back in the house. Michelle is out on assignment this week. That means I'm alone in a studio for chaos to be. And I got a great one for you, folks. I'm here with Brian Link. He's a good friend of mine. He's a Midwest guy, but he's known for being all over the world. And he works in agile and technology development. He's a really good friend. Brian, how you doing, my man? What's going on? I'm good, Dan. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's like, uh, dude, it's it's a crazy time. We're in a world where superconductors apparently are, are on the edge of something. At room temperature. Yeah, <laughs> at room temperature. What do you know? Um, we'll be doing lead to gold here shortly as well. And then uh, AI continues to really kind of blow us away on things. But I want to talk about Agile. Um, Agile development, actually, in particular, is kind of a thing that comes up a lot in the enterprise sort of software development world. And I thought as people come out of COVID and sort of, you know, figure out this whole new world really just exploding in front of them, um, a lot of people are learning about sort of Agile's role and how we kind of got to where we're at, potentially. And I wanted to know more about what Agile is. And you're Captain Agile, man. I am happy to help you, Dan. First of all, if people are just now learning Agile, you're probably a little bit behind. (laughs) Agile has gotten to the point where it's kind of mainstream, almost old hat for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, So it's really interesting. You uh, asked me to speak about Agile. I was like, well, what the heck am I going to talk to you about, Dan? Well, and first of all, let's lay down kind of like, what do we mean by Agile? Like if someone's got a business, they they... Maybe they don't know what this word is. What, what do we mean by agile, and where does where does it belong? Sure. In the world. Of like, what the heck is agile? You know, it's funny. Agile means so many different things, um, and there's so many misconceptions around agile. Like I literally wrote a book about misconceptions around agile because there's so many people that misunderstand it, right? Yeah. But like. People have heard of waterfall because in the 90s, if you knew anybody that was in the consulting industry, that's how you worked. You would do a big design up front. You would think about all the problems. You'd write them down. And, you know, the consulting firms I worked for would produce like a two inch thick document to hand to the client to say, this is what we're going to do. And then it became like, okay, execute for the next 12 or 18 months. And so you got into this loop where you were building stuff. That was literally out of date by the time you delivered it. That was the way we used to work. And so when I compare Agile to people, well, it's really funny talking to people right out of college these days, they didn't live through any of that right. 90s software development craziness right before the millennium. So they don't even know what I'm talking about. But you can imagine if you were to try and build a project over the course of 12 months, line item 632 on your project plan is right. almost guaranteed to be a lie. Nobody knows when you're going to get to that. Nobody knows when you're going to get it done. And the reason is because we live in a volatile world. Humans change their mind. Business requirements change. The environment changes. The customer's wants change. And so, like, I think what Agile is, is sort of a recognition that common sense matters (laughs) and you can't just lie to yourself that you're going to deliver something 12 months from now. You got to figure out how to measure things in shorter timeframes to kind of make sure you're still on track. It's like, duh, like 
let's talk to the customer every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? This is not done yet. And you used to do this and all your software development experience, Dan, show yeah. people stuff before it's done to yeah. see if you're on the right track. It's yeah. common sense. And that's really what Agile is. Like, let's be more deliberate, involve yeah. the customer, talk about our outcomes, be a little bit more communicative along the way to make yeah. sure we're building the right thing for the right reasons for a real customer. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of the uh, the, the common sense, man. That's that hit home. Uh, I feel like uh, we're in a we're sort of in a new world where where the notion of common sense gets questioned every day. Like uh, that is true. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> so so uh, <laughs> I think, uh, and I I totally agree with you that notion that you know we build a big plan and we think it's a plan, but the plan doesn't actually work like that. Um, and especially no, for people who in yeah. business see that over and over. So, so what did people start to do? They started to, uh, this framework was created, I'm assuming, and it has, uh, to me, it's, it must have tenants and beliefs and these kind of things. Well, and that's exactly how it started. Right. And people, anyone that's sort of been taught anything about agile have probably heard about the agile manifesto. Um, and it happened, it was written by 17 dudes, literally in a ski lodge in Utah, um, because they were sick of the way that the world was working with these big, dumb projects, always late, dissatisfied clients, customers not getting what they want. They said there has to be a better way. And so they were building software projects. They were working for big consulting firms or big, dumb companies that just didn't get it. And they're like, what can we do to be smarter? So they got together and said, we should start with values. We should start with principles. We'd be like, let's write down the common sense rules, right? Like, let's be iterative. Let's get feedback sooner. Let's try not to write stuff that doesn't matter. Do more that matters and do less of stuff that doesn't matter. Like that kind of common sense. Yeah. Let's value our face-to-face -face conversations with each other over CYA contracts, over, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. arbitrary process and rules and just because of the way we've always done things. And so it was kind of a fresh new outlook on how to be smarter about doing development. Um, but you know, it's interesting. The manifesto in 2001 is not where it all really started. It's probably yeah. where people think it started, but yeah. it was actually inspired by stuff way back when. And I could give you a whole lecture on like yeah. how the manufacturing industry and the Toyota production system and yeah. Taylorism from the early 1900s was like working on eliminating lean waste type challenges out of manufacturing floors. That's what really inspired some of the stuff that happened. And in 1995, Scrum and XP, extreme programming, kind of really were the front runners in changing the way that we built software. Scrum was based on like two or three week long sprints to get things done quickly and then right. stop and measure results. And right. XP was also founded on values and principles, like be excellent to one another. Like, duh, we should do that. Right. <laughs> I love stuff like that. It also makes me think that there's... um. You know, can you give us a couple? I feel like there's there's probably sort of we talk a lot about bias uh, in the future as we talk about innovation and ideas going forward. Yeah, and, and you know the founder can inject almost unconsciously inject bias or constraints into a project, but not realize it by just their vision or how they're approaching it. Can can you give us a couple sort of here are some classic things that you would hear in a business that mm -hmm. definitely needs agile? Like here is something like if you're hearing this on the shop floor or whatever business you're in, 
Yeah. You need to think about agile. What are some common things? Yeah. So one of the buzzwords, and you've heard startup founders say this, be like, I know what our customers want. Just build this. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. If you ask the question of which customers have you talked to and yeah. what did they tell you that made right. you come to that conclusion, right. I guarantee you, you will run into an interesting crossroads where yeah. we go, huh, maybe that isn't the most important feature to build. And yeah. literally, if you just go out and talk to people, you yeah. might discover it's something radically different. And that's where, you know, startups pivot. Holy crap. We talk to customers. They yeah. don't give a crap about uh, shortwave text messaging to taxi drivers. What we actually need to do is build Twitter instead. Like it's a pivot because you right. figured out what the market needed, what was res- yeah. what, what they responded to. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny in, in my startup days. We would do stupid things because uh, I, I call them stupid because it was like, get to the quickest feedback possible. Like, yeah. hey, should we build this thing? And we could literally scribble in the morning an idea for a feature. And then it was in San Francisco, right? So you walk down to the sidewalk and there's a bunch of nerds everywhere in San Francisco and you put the piece of paper in front of them. Hey, if I built this, would you use it? Do you know what this button would do? And they go, <laughs> no, that's dumb. Yeah. you like, thank God we didn't build that crap. And we go and we scribble something else out and you go down on the sidewalk again. Hey, if we build this thing, Oh, that's cool. Awesome. So then we're drinking beer till midnight coding that thing and launching it the next day. And all of a sudden you got feedback loops and you're building stuff that matters that people actually care about. Yeah. And you start, seems like agile and momentum are very, uh, they're, they're partnering. That's all about kind of getting that, that verification momentum. And that's something that I really got out of the early days of doing big kitty and sort of building prototypes and even you know progressing further and learning was like you get addicted to that prototyping um cycle where you can rapidly manifest and validate and it builds people too do you find it agile to me it seems like agile is almost like a resiliency and wellness protocol but (laughs) for humans it's for for product development. I can only imagine that people that work in agile development, I would assume they get very passionate about it because they can see the change. Absolutely. You're closer. Yeah. You're closer to the edge. Like how many times, like go back to, you know, 20 years ago, you're at like Lexton or whatever. Right. And there's people that just showed up to their job and it's just a dumb job to them. They have no idea what their work has an impact on the business or the customers. They literally have no idea why they're doing what they're doing. If we do agile right today, there are strategic vision statements that drive the future of the company that literally define why the company exists. The senior leaders create strategic OKRs, objectives and key results that literally embody the strategy to say, this is what we're doing and why. And here's how we're going to know it's true because we'll measure this thing and it'll show us that the meter is moving in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. And then you tell the teams to try and achieve those results, be as creative as you can do the things and get me yeah. feedback sooner so that we know we're on the right track. Yeah. All of a sudden, when you do that, every single person in a 20,000 person company knows yeah. why they exist. They know what their job is for. They know what strategy it's related to and how it affects customers. Guess what happens? Yeah. Those people, don't feel like they're cogs in a machine anymore. They love what they do. They know why they exist. They can have an elevator conversation with a stranger to tell them what they do and why it matters. 
Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. That, I love that. That's a transformational change that needs to, um, that, that, that really needs to happen. Uh, as we move into this, this era, advanced manufacturing, we're going to see robots on the floor. You know, we're going into the world where it's going to be me and robot six. And then there's, Brian, <laughs> and then there's robot seven, four and nine. And I'm like, high five and Ryan, but then the robot sees it and decides that it high fives me as well. And now it's thinking about me. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a crazy world. The uh, robots are taking over, Dan. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about um, back in the day. Uh, you know, you have a, you're a Midwest. Uh, are you born and raised here in, in the Midwest? I was actually born in New Jersey, moved to Buffalo and lived. Buffalo. I grew up in Buffalo, New York until I was 18, like from a less than one year old till I was 18. Okay. Went to school in Boston and then yeah. traveled all over the country with a consulting firm before I landed in Columbus in my late 20s. And um, you were um, you have a, you know, in Wired magazine, there will be a picture of the icons of the ages and there'll be a picture of, of uh, Brian Lank there next to uh, a famed startup. What is your famed uh, intersection with the great lore of startup history? I, I don't know that I actually ever made the cover of Wired magazine, Dan. You're exaggerating a little bit. But I did work for Dig.com. Um, it was one of my big startup adventures. Um, and this is at the peak of early web 2.0 days um and it was in san francisco so i was actually 2006 um my um college roommate jay adelson called me up and said dude you need to come to san francisco and help me run the startup because um we're growing so fast and none of us know how to manage the software developers and i was like dude i just built a house i got a girlfriend i like i got this midwestern life i'm like taking it easy i got like a 17 minute commute life is good and he's like no we need you you got to move to california so wow. i somehow convinced my girlfriend to move to california and marry me and start at dig.com in san francisco and wouldn't you know we actually got um pregnant and moved back to ohio and had a baby in Ohio all within the same 12 months. 2006 <laughs> was a little bit insane, but best yeah. year of my life. Yeah. So, and then I commuted to San Francisco from Columbus for the next two years and was the CTO of what at the time was one of the world's biggest startups, the yeah. front page of the internet before Reddit and yeah. um, uh, ran that startup, hired you know, 50, 60, 70 people into a large startup that was grown with venture capital, yeah. cheesy advertising model, like all of our other web 2.0 friends oh, and putting dig this buttons all over the internet. We were on, you know, New York times, right. Washington post, yeah. you know, you find a cute kitten or a bikini or a brand new political article on New York times. Right. You click that, dig this button, anything and everything. Right. Yeah. That was, um, <laughs> You know, I, I think a lot about that that time because I feel like that time is back. A lot of uh, what the innovation, the speed, yeah. the yeah. the startup mentality, the anything is possible. I mean, like Facebook and Twitter, all those kind of like companies got started back then, right? And even like early days of Google and things, it was just yeah. like anything is possible. And so I feel like this artificial intelligence wave has the potential to drive that level of innovation again right 
Um, And you know, what's interesting. I'd love to hear your opinion about this, Dan, because it feels like, you know, think about like web 1.0, the billboards on the internet, the, Mm -hmm. you know, back, they used to say HTTP colon forward slash forward slash Ford.com on television commercials. Oh my God. I I did that. Right. Like we destroyed all of that crap when we built web 2.0. Yeah, And you could argue that the crazy crypto Web 3.0 stuff is also destroying some of the original kind of Web 2.0 stuff. And artificial intelligence feels like it feels like more like a layer that will enhance things instead of necessarily replacing things. There's just all this there's fear mongering because people don't understand it. Even some of the people that coded artificial intelligence don't understand what they've built. Like it's so complicated behind the scenes and, and, and and the world, our digital divides getting bigger and bigger. But what I, my conclusion and what I kind of curious about your opinion is, is it going to destroy things or is it going to enhance things? You know, um, I think it's going to uh, enhance uh but it will feel like destruction i I think yeah if you don't keep up with it maybe right like everyone's gonna need to have some level of ambient awareness about what the heck it is yeah um i tell my agile friends in my corner of the universe it's just another tool in your tool belt to master to make yourself better the same way that the internet did that way back in the early 90s or whatever and then the mobile phones was kind of the next big wave of like, holy cow, this is changing everything again. Yeah. Social media. I think that I think one of the interesting things about AI is uh, to think about it as a person instead of thinking it as a technology, thinking about it. Um, and it, it, that's a little scarier. Potentially. That's interesting. Tell me like, more. What are you what talking you about? Uh, in a lot of ways, frame it up like a Tim Robbins. It's a Tim Robbins. And like, what okay. does that mean? Well, what did Tim Robbins do? Tim Robbins uh, has a followership of people that like his books and his ideologies, but he also sort of uh, instills a, a, a maybe a method of thinking, how to mm-hmm. wake up faster in the morning, how to feel more confident, how to get things done. He He's not only giving you um, advice on how Inspiration. to change mentality, but he's also going to, of course, he'll show you how to add numbers together faster. That's obvious. Of course, he's going to show you um, how to take a job that would take eight hours to do and show you how mm. to do that in five minutes. That's obvious. Mm. But what we need to get him uh, get it to is that this is Susan. This is Molly. This is mm. a Roger. This is you know, Bart, right? This is a, it's I a think new team member with great capabilities. Right. Um, and I think one of the reasons why it would be helpful for us to practice this and, and think about it as an entity because it helps you think about where the ethical lines could be and not mm. be at least in conversation because we know that from people right we know mm. that when we meet somebody from uh, a brand new we know an ethical line already exists we know when we see kids walk down the street and we know they're too young and we know the time of day we already know we're concerned right so yeah. like if you can think like that, you can you can almost think about how, well, Dan, does that mean we can put moral positioning in AI? That's what's happening now. That's yeah. the reason why ChatGTP has been getting dumber since it came out. It came out and it was like, do whatever you want. People are like, hey, I want to blow up the world. Well, here's how you do it, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, then, and now it's now it's got to the point where it's like, Brian, I'm concerned about the level of the conversation for the last four hours. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like yeah, so, yeah. but if you think it as a person, it helps you unpack 
potentially where your person is messed up, right? Maybe he doesn't understand this or she doesn't understand that. So, yeah, but I like yeah. when I talked to you about it because, you know, you were not a fan and I need a, a skeptic. I, I think the, I think AI does have a fear problem. What do you think that? Yeah. You, know, it's, and, and you hear it everywhere, right? Everyone thinks it's going to eliminate their job. Um, right. You know, I look at, you know, when when people started asking me, how did I think artificial intelligence was going to be of Agile Code Masters? I was kind of like, yeah, like not at all. Like, what do you mean? Like, where's the intersection? I don't get it. Yeah. And and that I, you know, I'm insanely curious. So I had to go play with it and dork around with it a while and learn. I was like, oh, so it's like an insanely smart version of Google that knows how to actually pull together meaningful tidbits from the far reaches beyond just what Google might normally produce and actually assemble meaningful thoughts for me. And I was like, yeah. it's really just a powerful tool. And so I've seen a lot of kind of agilists start looking at it. Like it's not going to eliminate your job. We it's, it's a human role, a scrum master, an agile coach, we literally look at people yeah. and see the unspoken language in yeah. their body language and the way they look and, and, and notice when like, yeah. Oh, that's not the way that Fred normally behaves. And a right. robot's not going to necessarily right. be tuned in to do that unless, unless we go out of our way to teach it those things, obviously, right. but like the human condition of face-to-face -face interactions and recognizing the subtlety, I call it the art of noticing like that stuff is powerful, right? Like I can tell you got your hand on your chin. You're a little yeah. bit interested in what I'm saying, yeah. but like a robot is like, I don't know. It's a yeah. man in front of me and like, doesn't necessarily right. know all the full context of right. all the different variables that I'm taking in when I'm face to face right. with somebody. And the right. job of an agilist yeah. is about relationship building between humans. And that's something that's really hard to teach something else, yeah. but needless yeah. to say, everyone's still afraid because yeah. it's unknown. What the hell is this doing to my job? Yeah. And and I do I I like to throw the scare tactics around a little bit too. I'm like, yeah, you know, a couple of years from now, if you've not studied this stuff, you might get left behind. Right. Because you didn't learn the new tool. Just right. like if yeah. you're like, oh, the internet's a fad, dude, those people got left behind too. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there was a, you know, it was interesting too to see the level of people who really kind of positioned themselves to take a uh, position on it and I, I think that's what's interesting with ai is that it's it's moving so fast i mean this is a technology that came out in november last year um and you know we're what nine months in and we have already i feel like i've already moved Multiple generations of right i feel like i've moved two years uh, in the future in terms of just realized capability and i think about this a lot i think mm -hmm. about the time scale and how, like, if I'm having a hard time wrapping around the time scale, like how, and I'm not just trying to put myself out there as like more yeah. curious, whatnot, but that is the stuff I like to do. So no, you're insanely curious and you dive yeah. deep into these topics, Dan. I know, I know you're up at four in the morning reading new AI articles and trying to keep <laughs> up. I get it. But like, yeah. there's a million people in Columbus. Yeah. How many dozen people are there like you in Columbus? Maybe not that many. You're yeah. at the bleeding edge. And I mean, yeah. you remember back in like the early web 2.0 days, yeah. like 
we were on the bleeding edge then too. We were like, we were. We were like, oh my God, do you see this new thing? It's like this brand, yeah. like if there was an, if there was like a, a beta sign up yeah. or like a early alpha release or some, like you and yeah. I were on the list. We're like downloading the crap, right. re-imaging our laptops, whatever we need to do to like test the right. new stuff. And it's right. like, there aren't that many people that are on right. that bleeding edge. And again, I'm not trying to brag, but I'm just like, yeah. there's an insatiable curiosity yeah. and it's always impossible to keep up with the latest, the world gets bigger yeah if if internet and data and all of our collective wisdom has done anything it's yeah. made the world so much bigger and so just like in the early days of the internet yeah you had to find a niche that mattered yeah remember like when you're like holy crap you mean there's a website that all it does is sell shoes that's weird <laughs> and now it's like yeah of course yeah. and now okay. it's like yeah they sell yeezy brand shoes and that's all they do like oh yeah. okay fine like the niche is the new like startup mentality like what yeah. what aspect of artificial intelligence are you talking about it's yeah. a huge world where are you what yeah. where's your specialty you know that's awesome that's awesome ryan we're coming up on the end of our episode here man do the the level of awesomeness that you're putting out and uh and everything i really appreciate it just I really appreciate your time and your and your thoughts. How can people um, online today, uh, our listeners, how can they help you? What's how can they? Well, I um, all I do is create content for people to try and be helpful. Um, I love to get people involved in agile and asking questions. You can find all my stuff on practicalagilist.com. Links to my Medium blog, links to my free book, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm working on books. I'm trying really hard not to get a job for a few for a while to just kind of chill and do nothing this summer. I would love for people to get more involved and ask me questions. Find me on LinkedIn. Find me on Practical Agilist. Love to chat with people. Awesome. Brian, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for uh, being on the show today. Stay there and we're going to wrap up. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll hear and talk to you guys next week on the Midwest Momentum. Mm -hmm.